when Marty called me and said, hey, I, I want you to come out and speak, and you can speak on any book that you want in the Bible. And I said, all right, well, I don't really want to do the New Testament because it seems like in the church we spend so much time in the New Testament we forget that there is an Old Testament. And there are a lot of wonderful things that come out of the Old Testament. And I started thinking, what is something that I haven't done in a long time? And Haggai was one of the first ones that popped into my head. And I said, you know what? I haven't spoken out of Haggai or taught out of it in probably 10 years or more. And I said, has anyone taken Haggai? And he kind of chuckled and said, "Mm, I don't think so. (laughs) So I was like, all right, well, that's the one that I want. So I appreciate him calling me and allowing me to come and be with you. I started looking around and there are a few people that I remember that maybe you remember me and I will say this, I've been in Seminole for 11 years now, but actually 10 years of that has been spent as the youth minister. I've only been the pulpit minister for a year. So I'm relatively new to preaching and being the preacher, so I've been, I'm I'm listening to the songs and I'm ready to get up and start singing with them because I've been leading those for 25 years. So it's almost time for me to get up and do the chariot and and all of those and the man in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and and all of those songs. But talking about children and being happy with five children, I I feel like in my life I've had the wonderful privilege of I have hundreds of kids. And a lot of those kids who are, were my youth group 25, 26 years ago are calling me and, and they're coming back to camp with me as counselors and they're bringing their children. So I look at these kids and now they're adults and they're bringing their children and I'm going, man, <clears throat> I am getting older. There's not a lot of men, I guess, that stay in youth ministry for 25 years. I don't know what that says. All I know is God has blessed me for so long to be in a position to be able to work with kids. I've loved it. I enjoyed it. I'm getting a little tired. I don't have the energy to run and play ball with them like I used to. So I've kind of handed that baton off a little bit. But that's my life. That's what I've spent. And that's what God has blessed me for so long with doing. And I'm just grateful for that. I'm also grateful for this new change, a challenge, I believe. I have always enjoyed teaching and preaching, but it's, it's different than it is being a youth minister. Not a lot different. You're still teaching and out of God's Word, and I decided that 25 years ago. The more important thing, or the most important thing working with kids, I believe, is teaching them God's Word. So many times we find curriculum sent out even and go, here's your book. We want you to teach out of this little book. And I think, boy, I just went through a whole chapter and there was one Bible verse in that book. And I think, that, I don't think that's what our kids need to hear. I think they need to actually be reading God's Word and, and trying to understand, you know what, this deals with me today. And I believe Haggai deals with us today, just as it did to the people back then. Now, not specifically in regard to the temple, and that's what we're going to talk about. If you were to sum up this little book tonight, I believe it would be just this. When is it time to build God's house? I believe that's the message that Haggai is going to say to these people. Now, if you understand, God at one point was talking to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk said, Oh Lord, when, when are you going to listen? When are you going to hear and see all of the things that your people are doing? When are you going to stop them from acting like they're acting? 
And God said, okay, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to back up. I want you to be really quiet, and I want you to watch what I'm about to do. Because I'm about to send the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, and they're going to go in, and they're going to smite them just like I want them to do, and they're going to punish them. Now, if you know anything about Habakkuk, Habakkuk says, wait a minute, God. You're a holy God. You're a great God. You're, a, you're, you're wonderful. How can you possibly allow someone who is that evil punish someone more righteous than they are? And God said, no, here's the thing about righteousness. You either are or you're not. But the point being, the Babylonians are going to do this. Then Jeremiah comes along in chapter 25 and he says, God said, be faithful, and you're not being faithful. So God is going to take you, he's going to conquer you with the Babylonians, and they're going to take you into captivity for 70 years, and you're going to live there in a land it's not yours, and he's going to do that to you. And after 70 years is fulfilled, then I'll bring a remnant, a piece of you out, and I will bring you back into your land. I'll be faithful to you. So this history happens. The people go in in 606. Could be a different year, but right about 606. That's how I learned it. Maybe you learned it in 607 or 605. or Different scholars have have argued a little bit over that. But 606, uh, the Babylonians come along and they conquer Israel. In 586, they come back and they destroy the temple. They wipe out the history, if you will, the identity of the Jews. This is where they look at. This is where they they look back at their history and they say, this is our identity. This is where we come from. This is who we are. And so they do this and they're living there. And then we get to 536. And at this point, God is saying, okay, now the Babylonians have been punished like he said they would. And now were ushered in to the Assyrian people, Persian. Here we are. And now we come to see Cyrus. And Cyrus is, is become the most powerful emperor, if you will, in the world now. And so Cyrus, because God says this is what's going to happen, he allows, he brings in, and he allows a remnant to get together under Zerubbabel, and they're going to go back and begin building the temple. That's what they're wanting to do. So God, using Cyrus, using Zerubbabel, Jeshua, these men, they return and they start building the temple. Everything looks good. And if you look in Ezra, it'll tell you those families that are going back. And it numbers a lot of them. And it'll say, this father's house or this people and this many of them and this will will go back. And it'll go down to a whole long list. And so you know the people that are going back to Jerusalem. And they're the ones who are going back with excitement to go back and rebuild the temple. Now... What happens, does anybody remember, this is that time you can respond. And if you don't, real quickly, I'll keep preaching. Okay? So what happened when they got back and started building the temple? Anybody remember the story? Oh, they started building, but they started building their own houses. Why did they do that? Now, if you don't know Dayton, um, Dayton knows this story because he's taught it to me. Why are they building their houses? Okay, so they'd have a place to stay while they're building the temple? 
okay. <laughs> that might have been one of their reasons they would have given. What else? What other reason do you think that they stopped building, stopped building the temple? <clears throat> oh, thanks. To work on their own houses. Okay, they've already forgotten about what they're supposed to do. What is it they're supposed to be doing? Building God's house. <clears throat> now, it's been 70 years. How many of you remember what your house looked like 70 years ago? Does anybody remember the color of the walls in your house from 70 years ago? I can't because I haven't been there that long, <clears throat> okay? Now, some of you might remember some of those things, but the majority of us can't remember that far back because we weren't there. Now, do these people realize, really truly realize, how important God's house is? They haven't experienced it. Now, they've heard a few people, oh, uh, the good old days. I remember when, how many of you have heard that? <laughs> I even catch myself, if my kids were here tonight, they would tell you the same thing. Oh, I remember Dad, he'd say, <laughs> I'd go, man, I can remember, <clears throat> and, uh, and all of my teachers back there, and, and I think about, man, they were awesome preachers, they were awesome Bible class teachers, and I just remember when we had all of this going on, and all of these things, and I remember how it was when I, and we tend to do that. And so, <clears throat> we're going to see some of that here in this little book, but they kind of forget what they're about, what they're doing. But even more than that, there's people telling them, you shouldn't be doing this. Why are you doing that? Why, why is that so important? You know what? If you keep doing this, we're going to call Cyrus. We're going to send him a letter. We're going to send back over and tell them that, that you're, you're not being good and that you're doing all these things, and we're just going to... And they kept at them, and kept at them, and kept at them, and kept at them. And how hard is it to stay focused on something you're supposed to do when everyone around you, or seemingly everyone around you, is trying to get you to stop doing what you're doing? It's hard to stay focused. And so the people, they kind of lose focus on who they are and what they're about and what they're trying to accomplish. And it really isn't all that important when they start seeing, I don't have a house to live in. So it's real easy to say, you know what, I need to build a house to live in so that we can focus on what we need to do. We do that a lot in our life, don't we? I'll do that when I'm ready to do that. We'll have, I've had, I've had uh, a friend say, well, we'll have kids when we're ready, when we are ready to have children, like we're going to be financially secure and we're going to be all of that stuff. And I'm going, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> not unless for somehow a reason someone gives you a whole lot of money because you're never going to really, truly be ready financially to have kids. They're going to drain you, aren't they? You just go, my goodness, I thought this was summertime. I, I didn't know I was going to have to camp costs. Here's $200 for camp. Oh, you're going to basketball camp too? Okay, here's this. And our daughter, she's on her third camp this week, or this two weeks. So there was $450 for that camp session. Now, this is church camps, and she's going all over the place. And you, we are, they want to go to church camp? I, how can you say no to that, Right? 
Man, this is where we want them. To, we want them nurtured, and we want them to... But, oh, it's expensive. And forget about all the stuff they need for school. You're playing basketball. You're playing softball. You're playing... You're running track and cross country. Oh, you made the all-star team. <laughs> we're not ready. And so we start losing focus on what we're really about and what we're really trying to do and raising our children and who they're supposed to be. And so we get sidetracked. And it's the same way, I believe, with the people of Israel. This remnant that has gone back <clears throat> has forgotten who they are. Haggai is called by God. And there's four oracles in these two chapters. And first oracle is chapter 1. And if you have your Bible, and if you're opened up to Haggai chapter 1, we'll look at a little bit of this with you tonight. The first thing that I believe that Haggai is going to do in this little short book is he's going to call, have a call to action. Now, in verse 2, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now first off, God, immediately there is an indictment from God. Look at your houses and this paneled houses that he's saying. He's saying these, these houses are beautiful. They're ornate. They're not something they've just built to live in while they're working on the temple. They're putting energy and a lot of time into building something that looks nice. Okay, Now understand, this isn't overnight. We're dealing with 16 years of history in between the time they returned and Haggai is beginning to preach. 16 years to get ready. And so God says, his indictment says, why? You, you know, you say it's not time. Why is it not time to build my house? Why is it okay for you to build your homes? Why is it okay for you to look at all the beautiful things that you want in your house and my house is still lying in ruins? Who brought you here? Do you remember that? Who got you back here? If you weren't here, where would you be? You would still be in captivity in a land that's not yours. Who got you here? Why were you brought here? Why were you brought back? Why have you lost faith is what he's really asking. In verse 5, we just looked, read it. He says, consider what? Consider your ways. And what he says is, I want you to step back. I want you to look in the mirror at yourself and go, why am I doing what I'm doing? How many times do we need to do that today? When we're talking about God and his kingdom, how many times do we need to back up and say, look in that mirror and just ask ourselves, what am I doing? What does my relationship with God look like? What have I done this week to ensure that my relationship has gotten deeper and stronger with my God? Why am I here? Why are you here? Why are you in this building tonight? Do you ever ask yourself that? Why am I here? Am I just going through the motions? Why do I go to church on Sunday morning? 
Why do I do that? Consider your ways. This is what God is wanting the people to do. He wants us to do the same thing today. Consider your ways. Verse 7. Lord says, Consider your ways again. Go up to the mountains. Bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may bless, that I may be pleased with it, and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs to your own home. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, and on the grain, and on the new wine, and on the oil, and what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and all the labor of your hands. What did he say? I withheld everything. How are you being blessed? Look at your lives. Look how many things in your life really aren't going that well, and why aren't they? You're satisfied with a little bit when I'm ready to bless you with everything. So many times, I believe, as Christians today, we settle for the scraps, if you will, because our life is a little better than the rest of the world, and we think, man, look how much better we are than them. And God is all the while saying, you could have so much more if only you would trust me. If you only you would believe me. How much more powerfully could God work through us if we truly believed He was going to bless us in everything that we did? If we stood up for what was right every day, when someone was doing something that we knew was wrong, and we said, no, hold a minute, wait a minute, why are you doing that? Sometimes we're a little afraid to do that, aren't we? It comes across maybe as arrogant. People will say, well, you're just arrogant. No, because that's not what I really want. What I would love to have is this over here, but you know what? God said, no, that's not okay. This is how you should be living your life. These are the things you should be about. These are the things that are important. These are the things that are significant. That's not it. Riches aren't really important in this life. My father's been in the hospital for 29 days. A couple of weeks ago, he and I were sitting there, and I was sitting beside his bed with him. And he said, son, I'm tired. I'm ready to go home. My dad is the greatest Christian man I've ever known in my life. He has helped me in more ways than I could ever dream of. And I told him as I was kneeling beside his bed, Dad, you're my hero. (laughs) I love you. And if that's what you want, if you're tired, because he said, I don't want to go through any more procedures, son. I don't want to go through all these things. They hurt, and I'm just, I'm just tired. And I said, Dad, if you're ready to go, I'll support that. I know where you're going. He knows where he's going. I never thought I was poor growing up. I really wasn't poor. We had everything we needed. But I can tell you, my dad always said... Son, we're going to be in Bible class. I don't care if you play football at Midwest City or not. When Wednesday night, when it's time to go to Bible class, you will be home and you'll be ready and you'll be in class or I will have a talk with Coach Evans. 
at the time was the most winningest high school coach in Oklahoma. And he ruled with an iron fist, as they say. But my dad said, no, he doesn't in this house. God does. And we're going to be there. And when you made a commitment on Sunday morning to throwing newspapers at 2 o'clock in the morning, we're going to get up and do that. And we're also going to be ready for Bible class. And stay awake. And if that means we go to bed at 7 o'clock on Saturday night, we're going to bed at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. So we'll be awake and attentive when we go to Bible class. And I thought, man, Dad. And now I look back and I think, I am so grateful to God that he gave me the father that he gave me. Because those things were more important than all the wealth that we could have had. I had a lot of friends that had a lot of money. And I talk to them now, and one of them is one of my best friends, and he says, you know, I, it was hard losing my dad. But he said, I know, I'm watching in all the years with you and your dad that I never had what you had with your dad. And he's been up to see my dad. And he knows what that is. And I'm not telling you my dad's a saint, that he's been perfect. But what I'm saying is he's instilled something that a lot of times isn't there. And I hope and pray in my life that I was able to give my kids some of the same things my dad gave to me. Why? That's more important than anything else in this world. There's nothing that we can give our children that's as powerful as a relationship with God. And to say, this is what's important. And, and that's why, and it's not that this building, you have a beautiful building here. And, and it's wonderful to be here. But the house of God doesn't really, it's not this building. It's right here. It's who we are. This is whose God's house is. And when he's talking to us, and, and the bottom of the, the, the end of this story really is that right there. And I'm jumping ahead. So you kind of know the conclusion, if you will. But that's what he's talking about. What's really important in your life? Where did you come from? Why are you here? Look at your life. Consider your ways. This relationship with God has got to be renewed. In verse 12 through 15, it says, Zerubbabel and Joshua, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Sometimes that's what people need. Sometimes people need to be redirected back to God and pointed to Him and said, This is who we serve. We're not bashful about who He is. And we're not afraid to say who He is. God is the most powerful in being in our, that exists. And I was so thankful that my dad didn't only make it, but that surgeon came in and he said, No, 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 we're not giving up. Mr. Daniels, I can do this, and we can, but it's a last-ditch effort, was his words. If it works tonight, we're going to pull you through this. And he goes, if you're ready to fight, and, and he said, okay, I'll fight. And he came out with us, and he said, look, this is what's going to happen. And it's scary, because it, the chances are he's not going to make it off the table tonight. And so what I want you to do is I want you to stop right now and I want you to pray for me and I want you to pray for my team that's getting ready to go in and operate on your dad. I don't know if you've ever had a doctor do that with you. But I thought, <laughs> are you kidding me? That's all we've been doing is praying. I have several hundred people, friends of mine that are praying all over the state of Oklahoma and in Texas and Kansas and other places. They're all over praying for my dad right now. You better believe we'll pray for you. 
and we stopped with him, and he knelt down between us, and then he came out. And later, my dad is alive the next day, and he comes back, and I said, Doctor, I just want to thank you. And he said, No, we only give thanks to God. God did this, not me. And I said, Wait a minute. I agree with you, but let me tell you something, Doctor. God gave you a gift that you've been faithful with. So I'm thanking you for your hands to do what God has set you in this place to do. Absolutely, I'm giving God the credit because He deserves it. But we are faithful in many different ways to our God and blessings and stewardships, if you will, that He's given us in our life. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord of the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They needed to be spurred on to greater and more powerful things and focus in their life. And so a call to action happens. And Haggai says, it's time to get busy. It's time in our life to do what God has called us to do. And sometimes we need to be spurred on. Sometimes we need, and where is that voice going to come from? A lot of times we expect, maybe it's the preacher to do that, but a lot of times it comes from among the people, someone that will just stand up and say, it's time that we get busy doing what God wants us to do. And it may come from a little gentleman like my dad who was, worked at the post office most of his life. And he retired and began driving a school bus. And I was excited because when he retired, I was in high school and I was playing football in Midwest City. And he volunteered to drive the football team wherever we went. And my dad never missed a game. It didn't matter when we were playing in Altus or we were playing in Enid or Tulsa or wherever it was, my dad was always there. And I don't know, maybe some kids would be embarrassed that their dad is the one driving the bus for the team. I wasn't. I was like, I know we're going to get there (laughs) because my dad knows every road in the world. At least that's what I thought. My dad will get us there even if it's in a blizzard like it was my senior year in Enid. My dad can get us there because he's Superman. He can do anything. And I always believed that. It can come from anyone. And I learned all so many lessons from so many men in my life and so many ladies. I I don't mean to sell short the ladies because I have had the privilege of about 15 years of teaching ladies class. I don't know why they asked me to teach their class. I'm not a lady. But they said, hey, we would love for you to teach our class. And I'm like, okay. And I've learned so much from them because you ladies are wonderful Bible students. And you think ways that a lot of times us men don't think. We think about this deep and some of y'all think like this. And it's like, man, it's powerful to listen to some of the things and the comments that some of you have to make. And the depth of your faith encourages so many people. And so God puts us here. And all of us at times are to help one another call to action the things that we're supposed to be doing in this life. What we're talking about. What The reality is it's, it's talking about the hearts of men. The call to action is our hearts. God is wanting our hearts. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want our money. He doesn't want those things. 
because everything belongs to Him anyway. What He wanted then, what He wants now, is our hearts. If our hearts belong to Him, everything else we have will belong to Him. That's what He wants in a relationship with us, is our heart. So we get to chapter 2, and He begins the second oracle. And, And these four different oracles, it talks about there are different times. And if you notice that He'll say that in... In verse um, 1, it says on the first day of the sixth month. And that's what we just looked at. And then in chapter 2, in verse 1, he says, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word came. And so there's a second one. And this is the next little thing that Haggai is going to share with us in this section. A call to courage. Now what's going on is he's talking to the people and he's encouraging them. He's calling them. He's saying, well, we need to look at ourselves and all of this is going on. And then it says these people are kind of back up and what they're going to do is go, okay, but there's always that group there in the corner somewhere that's going to throw a little bit of water on a fire, right? And so they're going to, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, I know the temple needs to be built. I know that, but I just can't stand the thought of what it's going to look like. Because it's not going to look anything like the one that used to be here. Man, the former glory of the temple was so amazing when Solomon built it. We'll never be able to do what Solomon did. It'll never look like that. And so they're sitting there and they're, they're just going, Oh, woe is me. Woe is our life. We're never going to have it as good. Who cares? What does it matter if everything in that temple is not covered in gold? What does it matter? Is that what God really wants? Is that what he wants? Seriously. And so what Haggai is now going to do is he's going to say, all right, here's our call, but this time our call is a call to courage. He says, speak in verse 2 to Zerubbabel and speak to Joshua and and to the remnant of the people and say this, verse 3, who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? Now just stop, people, and let me ask you a question. It's been almost 90 years since that temple was here. How many of you saw it? How many of you worshipped there? How many of you actually had any kind of ties to that physical building and what it looked like? Seriously, why are you complaining? Why are you throwing out that excuse? That's not an excuse. Get over it. That's what God is saying. How many of you were there anyway? How many of you were there? Boy, that's kind of a slap, real quick like, in the face. Get quiet and pay attention to what is real, what is truly important. Take courage. Back there in verse 3 again, look at it. Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, declares the Lord. Zerubbabel, Joshua, all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord. 
What's he saying? Take courage. Multiple times you're going to see this phrase in this little short two chapters. Take courage. Take courage. Take courage. Take courage. How many times is God going to have to say that before we actually believe it? How many times does God have to say that to His people before they're going to believe that they can actually trust in Him? And that's kind of the question. Do you really believe in me or not? Do you believe what I'm asking you to do? Do you believe that I want to have a relationship or not? Am I trustworthy? Look at our relationship together. What have I done for you? How has our relationship been? You tell me. Silence gets awkward, doesn't it? But God is going to, I believe, sit there quietly and say, Tell me the truth. What have I done? Faithful or not faithful? What has our relationship been? What has hindered our relationship from being everything that it needs to be? As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. What have I done for you? How have I taken care of you? How faithful have I been to you? Take courage. For thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 6, Once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, there are a lot of things in the Old Testament that are, have more than one fulfillment. God is, when He speaks, isn't necessarily just talking about the immediacy of where they are right now. Now, he's not literally going to tell them it's going to look just like Solomon's temple. I'm not going to fill it where every room in it to the ceiling is full of gold and silver. That's not what he's saying. But the glory of this temple will be great. Why? Because I'm there. But he's talking all the way to today with us. And so the dual fulfillment actually comes all the way to us. And as we look at this passage, we understand that God is faithful even to us to this day. What has God done for us today? How has God blessed us today? What is the glory of His temple today? Now, we understand He's not talking about a physical place because God makes it very clear. God does not live in houses made with hands, right? We're taught that. God is bigger than that. So we understand also today this temple is called the courage that he's talking about. This house is his people. And I think if we get any lesson out of that, I believe what he's really saying is nothing 
Nothing in the past is as good as what it can be in the future. So when you lose sight of things and you think, man, everything was so good at once in my life and once in my relationship and it can never be that good again, we've already given up. We've said, man, God's not very big. God isn't big enough to bless me in this world. God isn't big enough. There's nothing left in my relationship. Boy, I had such a great relationship at one time, and now it's not all that great. And <clears throat> there are things. Any of you had anything happen in your life that was hard, that you had to overcome, that you had to deal with? <laughs> if you haven't, you will. There are things that happen in our life that are hard. And a lot of them we didn't have anything to do with. We didn't make those things happen, but things happen in our life. And a lot of times we want to blame God for it. Or we'll say, well, you know what? It was really good at one time, but now it's not so good. And we kind of start giving up on God. And the reality is God has never given up. And He always wants us to understand if we believe in Him, if we understand that our courage in this life, like He's trying to get across to His people here, the future is always brighter than the past. Don't worry about the things that have gone on in the past. Get ready for God to bless your life tomorrow. Because God is in control of tomorrow as well. We need to be a people of courage. Quit looking at those things. Let's start looking ahead. In verse 10, he says, On the 24th of the ninth month. Let me ask you this. What time are we supposed to end? I didn't even ask that. 12 o'clock. There's no window, right? <laughs> no one's up there. <clears throat> a quarter after. Okay. And we, we've got some time. <clears throat> Good. I can slow down. Um, verse 10 in chapter 2. On the 24th day of the ninth month. Here goes number 3. Uh, three months later. The people began complaining about the blessings that they heard were coming. You ever hear something, I'm going to do something for you, this is going to come, something's about to happen, and you start waiting. When's it going to happen? When am I going to get that? Dad, you said you're going to get me a new bicycle. <clears throat> yeah? When's it coming? I want it. I, well, I told you when we... <clears throat> All right. So we'll go a few days and we go, hey, Dad, when am I going to get my bicycle? Hey, Dad, when are we going to go pick it out? Dad, I've seen another one. I found it on sale. <clears throat> Dad, I, <clears throat> well, my son, my youngest, is a, he loves to hunt and fish. He's been hunting with me and fishing with me since he was about three years old. <clears throat> he started hunting with his own firearm when he was six years old. I know some of you are maybe going like this. He's been with me nonstop. <clears throat> We've been all over the place. But fishing, he's eaten up with it. He has multiple rods and reels. He has bags full of fishing gear. And friends of mine know how much he loves it. And they keep buying stuff and getting more stuff. And I'll go and buy him a few things. And he saves up his money and he buys something else. And I'm looking at him I'm going, Okay, you have ten times more stuff than I have. And he goes, Well, Dad, I need this new rod and reel. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That reel is like $250. <laughs> You're 13 years old. You're not a professional fisherman, but Dad, I'm ready to quit school and start the tour. <laughs> we don't even have a boat. <laughs> <clears throat> he 
He wants all of this stuff. And he said, all right, Dad, I'm big enough. I'm ready. This year, I'm ready to hunt, and I want, I want a new rifle, okay? And we're in a store, and he starts looking at them, and he says, Dad, can I look at that one? Now, understand, my son is only about five foot tall. He's not real big. <clears throat> but he starts looking around, and he says, Dad, I want to look at that one. And I look at him I'm like, I'm sure you do. <laughs> you just picked out the most expensive gun in this entire store. <clears throat> we could probably buy a boat if we didn't buy that one. <laughs> but he's like, I said, well, you can look at it, but I ain't buying it for you. And so he, and he looks at it and he says, <clears throat> but I need this one, Dad. <clears throat> he says, feel how light this gun is. I said, son, I know how light it is. But, Dad, I really want this gun. Son, I really don't have $3,000 <laughs> for a gun that doesn't even have a scope or rings or anything else on it. <laughs> I can't afford that. Okay. And a week later, man, Dad, I just can't believe how... <laughs> I'm like, you got to get over it, boy. You ain't getting that gun. I'm sorry. You have aunts and uncles and all those other... You go talk to them. Grandma, Grandpa, you go visit with them and see what they'll do for you. <clears throat> and then we meet in, 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 in these people and here they are and they're going to wait a minute. There are all these promises were made, all of these great things and we're looking for this and we want it now. He says, no, wait a minute. Here's our third one. It's call to faith, if you will. And it says... <clears throat> On this 24th day of the ninth month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooked food, <clears throat> wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, No. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, It will become unclean. Then Haggai said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. <clears throat> But now, do consider this day onward. Before one stone is placed on another in the temple of the Lord, from that time when one came to a grain heap of twenty measures, and there would only be ten. And when one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, and there would only be twenty. I smote you and every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, it is not born fruit. Yet from this day on, I will bless you. Sixteen years of unfaithfulness. 
The people have been sitting and waiting for 16 years to do what God has called them to do. And they're looking at their life, and they feel like, well, we said we're sorry. We want everything. We want to be blessed again. And God says, now, wait a minute. Now, consider your life. Did you deserve what you got? Did you deserve to have way more of abundance than you received from my hand for your unfaithfulness? And one of the things I believe that we need to grasp in our life even today is consequences. Good or bad consequences exist, do they not? Even when they went to captivity for 70 years, they had asked for forgiveness and God said, I forgive you. However, you're going to have to serve out the time that you were told you're going to have to serve. 70 years was the sentence for the choices that you made. Now, I can forgive you, but you still have to deal with the consequences. I don't know how many times I've had that conversation with my son. Son, I love you, and I've forgiven you, but you still don't get your phone back for a week. (laughs) Son, I love you, but you are going to have to go back to your teacher, and you're going to apologize for speaking to them the way that you did. I want you to get up in front of the class when you get back to school tomorrow morning and I want you to address the entire class and tell them, I did not have the right to talk to my teacher this way. It was wrong and I'll not do it again. That's what you're going to do tomorrow at school. But Dad, I I said I'm sorry. And I forgive you. But the consequences are going to be That's not okay, and you're going to tell your classmates that's not okay. We have consequences in our life. Every choice that we make, there are going to be consequences for those choices. And too many times in the life today, our children, especially, you watch at school, and there really aren't any consequences to the choices that they make. I watch kids talk to their teachers and tell them one little boy walked into class with his ball cap on and the rule is you do not wear hats to school. It's just the rule. It It doesn't matter whether it's right, morally right or wrong. That's not the point. The point is there's a rule and we're going to follow this rule. I grew up in a house. We're not allowed to wear our hat in the house and you're not allowed to walk through the door without a shirt on. We just weren't allowed to do that. Kids can do that all over the place, and a lot of people wear hats in buildings and things like that. That still bothers me. And it's okay if it doesn't bother you. It's it's okay, but it bothers me, and I won't do it. I don't like to come in, and I don't like to sit down at the table, especially with a ball cap on. I don't like it. It It's just not who I am. But this little boy tells the teacher when she says, "Um, you're not supposed to have the hat on in school. You know that rule. And he says, I don't care. No, I told you, you need to take the hat off. No, I'm not taking my hat off. You can't make me. Right? <laughs> no. 
You can't do that either. You can't punish that child. And the child says to his teacher, you try to make me, and if you do, I'm going to sue you. What? For taking your hat off? You're told to... You know the rule. You're not allowed to do that, but you're going to threaten... Here's a 10-year-old child. I'm going to sue you if you make me take my hat off. Now, where do you think that child learned that language from? But that child thinks he can speak to a teacher any way he wants to speak to that teacher. Now, I've told my son, your teacher may be wrong. Chances are there's a number of times in your life your teacher is going to be wrong. But you will not speak to that teacher with disrespect anyway. Now, you can address it and ask a question. You can ask to speak to the teacher after class. You can come home and tell me, and you and I will go together and have a conversation with that teacher. I'm okay with that. We'll talk to the principal. We'll go to the superintendent. We'll do whatever you want to do to talk about it, but we're going to do it with respect the way that we should do it. We're not going to be that. Why did you do this? Now, there's consequences to our decisions But too many times we're growing up in a society just like these people who don't want consequences to their actions. God said, were you faithful? Now, wait a minute. Where were you 16 years ago? And what did I do for you? Did I bring you back into this land? Yes or no? Well, well, yeah. And and what did I ask you to do? Well, we were supposed to come back and and build the house. And what did you do? Well, we built our houses. Yeah, but what did you really do? (laughs) Did you do what you were supposed to do? Well, not really. He says, okay, then understand this. I will bless you, but you need to be faithful. Your faith is not, cannot be in material things. That's what got you in trouble to start with. When you went into captivity, when your ancestors, now almost a hundred years ago, went into captivity, that's what they were doing, and there were consequences to those decisions. You've been back here 16 years, and there's consequences because you haven't been faithful to what I've called you to do. And as Christians, we're all given stewardships in this life. We're all given things to do in this life that God says, I want you to be faithful with what I've blessed you with. No one can say, God hasn't blessed me or given me an assignment, if you will, in His kingdom. Parable of the talents. How many times have we heard that story? And what does it mean? What does it say? God comes in, or the Lord comes in, and He blesses us, and He says, I'm going to give you five talents. That's money. That's not gifts. That's not physical abilities. But He says, here's talents. Here's money. Here is an assignment I want you to be faithful with. And you too, and you one, and I just want you to be faithful with your stewardship, with your assignment that I'm giving you. Is it to build God's house? Is it, what is, what is it? How many of you have ever actually, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever actually stopped and sat down and really thought about what is it I'm supposed to be doing in God's kingdom? What has God assigned me with in His kingdom to be faithful with? 
What are my five talents of money or two talents of money or one talent of money? Because I'm going to answer to him for that giftedness. What is it? And if we don't stop and question that, if we don't stop and ask ourselves, what are we doing? What has God given me? What is God requiring of me? How will we ever give an answer to him when we stand before him one day? And he says, well done. Are we going to hear that? Or is he going to say, depart from me for I never knew you? We better be ready. We better figure this out. What has God given you? We can't have a faith that's not filled with works. That's what James says, right? That's a whole book. <clears throat> if we're faithful, we'll work. We're going to figure out what God wants us to do. Now, it may take us a hundred different tries to figure out what it is that God is really wanting me to do. Because there are some people, I'm sorry to tell you, that want to lead singing that just shouldn't be leading singing. I'm sorry. And I, and I say that just, just to lighten it a little bit. But there's a lot of people who should be leading singing that don't. And you ask someone to, um, how many of you, and I don't know if I should get like this, how many of you have heard from the pulpit in here or in a bulletin or however, we need a teacher for this age group for next quarter. We need a teacher over in this grade for this next coming quarter or the fall quarter. How many of you ever had heard an announcement like that? Does that happen here? Most places I've been, it's either in the bulletin or it's being announced. And when, when whoever's over Bible school here, I, I don't know if one of the deacons or one of the elders is over that, or, or, or I don't know who does that here, but if they had enough volunteers, do you think you'd ever hear that announcement? And how many times... Now, you don't really have to raise your hand. How many times have you thought, boy, <clears throat> I wish someone would raise their hand? Or you think, boy, you know what? <clears throat> She's a really good teacher. She should be raising her hand. That's who should be teaching that class. Man, I'm telling you what, they're going to answer to that one day. Because <laughs> God is not going to like it. And too many times in our life we do that, don't we? We look at someone else and think, man, they need to be faithful. They're not doing what God has blessed them with. Well, let me ask you, when was the last time you went to her and said, you know what, you are one of the best teachers I've ever seen, and I really wish that you would go and teach these children. They really need you. How many times do we encourage someone to use their faith? You know, a lot of people are sitting back going, I don't know what to do. I, I really don't know. I don't know if I'm supposed to teach. I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. And all they need is us to just walk up and tell them, do you know what, I believe in you. I've watched you and how good you are with children. And I think you would be an amazing teacher with this group. And if you want, I'll help you get ready for that. Maybe it's you're the encourager. Maybe that's the assignment God has given you to encourage other people. <clears throat> Sometimes we wait for things and we think all these things is going to happen wonderfully and God is just going to do it and God is telling us all along, you have to have enough faith 
to listen to me. You're not, you keep having these announcements, you keep having to beg for teachers because you don't really believe, you don't really have enough faith to go up and tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, and I did it one time. I kept hearing this announcement and all these things, and, and I finally said, you know what? I asked some of the ladies, I said, who, who, are you, who do you have in class with you? Who's helping you teach? Well, my partner. How long y'all been teaching together? We've been teaching together for 43 years. That's amazing. When was the last time you asked a young lady in this congregation, you two split up and go get a young lady to work with each one of you? When was the last time you did that? They don't want it. They won't do it. They just won't do it. Have you heard how many times announcements? And I don't. I don't care about the announcements. I'm asking you, when was the last time you went and put your arm around one of these young ladies and said, come with me, I want to help you become, I just need you to be a helper. You don't even actually have to tell them, I'm going to turn this class over to you in two years from now. (laughs) You just pat them on the back. You put your arm around them and say, man, I really need some help. Do you think you could come into my class with me? And you wait a few weeks. Maybe it's a month or six months. And you say, you know what, I'm going to be... I'm going to be gone for a week. Do you think that if you and I worked on a lesson together that you could teach or help me do this? And you slowly start in there to do a little bit of this thing. And thoughtfully, you get them. And before long, they don't even know what's happened to them. And they're in their teaching. And 20 years from then, they're going, me and my partner have been teaching for 20 years together. But we can see things in people a lot of times that they can't see in themselves. And sometimes it takes a Haggai to tell people, even a leader like Zerubbabel, hey, you need to have faith that God is going to bless you. You need to have faith to become the man God wants you to be and this people to be. Encouraging them. You need to keep talking to them. You need to keep getting out there and say, come on, let's go. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a temple to build. We've got to praise God. We've got to honor God in everything that we're doing. Let's get busy. God has called His people to faith. There's rich blessings waiting on us as He just said to His people. From this day forward... I will bless you. Are we ready to be blessed? When we ask God for something, we should expect it. Because He hears us. And He says, if you ask for anything in my name, I won't hear you. Is that what He said? What did He say? Do we have faith to actually believe God is going to do it? Call to faith. <clears throat> now, the very end of this little book, in the last few verses in verse 20. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel. I am going to shake the heavens, and the earth. 
I will overthrow the thrones of the kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations, and I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders and will go and the riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. And on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, declares the Lord. And I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. So finally, he says, here's a call to hope. What are we actually hoping? Now, he specifically is talking to Zerubbabel. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And I don't know what that means to you and what he actually is completely and totally literally talking about, but I can just imagine God is so big that he's going to sit up there. And if you ever had to, you want to grab someone and just go, I just want to shake you so you'll listen to me. And I can just see God, and everyone's looking almost, and God is picking up the world, and he's going, All right, people, listen to me. Are you listening to me? Now, I know if he shook the world, we wouldn't be able to just sit here. But that's what he's, he is so powerful. God is so majestic. God is so awesome that he could take the world and just shake it. And he says, the heavens and the world, everything is going to be shaken. And he says, I will overthrow the kingdoms. Do we believe that? I hear so many people so many times, man, I, we're just distraught over all of the things that's going on against our country or against whatever it is that we want uh, to focus on. And we talk about different religious groups and, and different faiths of, of different things around the world. And we start getting fearful of a Muslim nation coming into America and destroying it. And we look at that and we just almost go, oh my goodness, we're doomed. Now, Israel's just let out of a country that could destroy them just like that. People were led out of Egypt by a king, by a pharaoh that was so powerful, he could have killed them all, again, just like that. We've seen God's people from the beginning of time could have been destroyed at any time. But they weren't. Why? Because God is in control. And he says, now I want you to know something. And you are the leader, Zerubbabel. You are the one who's leading the people. You're the one getting up and talking. You're the one who's leading them. And I want you to know something right now. You're not in control. I am. And I will bless you if you'll be faithful. So I want to do something. I want to call you. I want you to understand there is hope. Not because of how great you are, but because of who I am. I've called you to be my leader. I've called you to do the things that I need you to do in this world and in this kingdom. So are you going to be faithful? Be strong. Be filled with courage. All of the things that he says all through here. I will be with you. Do you believe it? You're my leader. Do you trust me? Do you trust me enough to get up and lead my people? 
we're not told and he's not told as God's leader, Zerubbabel is not told that God is going to force everybody who's following or supposed to be following him is going to do everything they tell him to do, does he? Nope. But he says, I'm with you. You be faithful. And I think that the story to each one of us is if we backed up and looked at it again, the whole point is they're lying there in a place where God has led them to, led them out of captivity, has blessed them in so many powerful ways, and he's brought them there to rebuild his house, and he says to them very simply, when is it time to build my house? Now, you've built your own houses, you've looked after yourselves, you've done all the things for yourself, and now is it time yet for you to take care of my kingdom? Because what I want you to remember is this, your house is not going to be here forever. It's going to be destroyed. But your eternal home will never be destroyed. What are you building? When is it time for us to build God's house? And the reality is, He really wants us to get that this is God's house. How are we building His house in our life? Do we have faith that He's working on us and through us? Do we have a faith that says, I'm going to do what you want me to do? Because I know that, I, that, that whatever we do in your name is going to be <clears throat> victorious. Do we believe that? These people didn't believe that. That's why they went to build their own homes. That's easy. It's easy to go out and do those things. It's easy to go get a degree and and get a good job and to do those things if that's what we really focus on and want to do. It's easy to do a lot of things in this world when we're in control of those things. It's not so easy to live by faith and realize God is in control and to ask Him every day, God, what am I supposed to do today? Will you please open the door? And this has been my prayer my whole life. God, I'm not the overly smart one here. And I need that door open really, really big so I can walk through. I don't need that little door, the one I have to search really, really hard for. So, God, please open it big enough where I can even see it. And so I've been blessed in so many ways in my life, and I look back and I think, that would have never happened if God hadn't opened that door. And I look at the men and the women in my life, and I've told a lot of them. I go back to my early teachers in elementary school and my Bible classes, and I go back to them and I thank them, and I think, man, this man and this man and this lady and this lady and all these people... They went to camp with me from the time I was nine years old. They gave up a week of their vacation to be with me and teach me. And and when I got out of the school of preaching and I came back to Oklahoma Christian and I did these things and and I got up at Eastside where I grew up for the first time to preach in front of them and I thought, oh my goodness, (laughs) I am sick at my stomach because what is it I'm supposed to say to these people who've trained me and taught me the books of the Bible since I was teeny tiny and have taught me everything for all of these years. What in the world do I have to offer them? 
And I was so scared that I was going to fall on my face. And I got up and I spoke, and I couldn't even tell you what I talked about. But you know how many of those people came up and ridiculed me after that was over? Do you know how many of them came up and said, Whew, I thought we trained you better than that. (laughs) You really are about the dumbest boy we've ever been around. Do you know how many came up and said that to me? None of them. Every one of them came up with smiles on their face and said, we are so proud that you've done this. We are so proud that you have done what you're doing. I was like, man, why didn't I have enough faith to think, they've been telling me this my whole life. They've been encouraging me to get up and talk to people about God my whole life. Why would I not think they're going to encourage me to keep doing it. Even though I may not have given a great lesson, (laughs) they still encouraged me. And so when I can get a kid to get up and lead a song on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night or lead a prayer, and they say the same prayer that I've said, (laughs) and they're mimicking me, and I'll go... Um, and I think, I wish they would have their own because maybe I'm not the greatest person to do that or say, you know, you're always harder, I guess, on yourself. But I look at them and I think, man, I'm so proud that they're willing to get up and do that, to try. I have a friend that's almost my age, and we were discussing this last year, and he said, you know, I've struggled through my life a lot. And... He said, I don't know. I really don't know. When I was baptized, I don't even know what I did it, why I did it. And he said, I've been struggling with that. And I really haven't committed to God. I've, I've lived my life for so many years just going when I could and doing those things. And he said, I don't, I don't want to be that person anymore. I said, good. I don't want you to be that person. <laughs> and he's gotten up last a couple of months ago and he gave couple of devotionals on Wednesday night. He was scared to death. Almost 50 years old. He said, I don't know that I can do it. Yeah, you can. He said, I'm getting sick. (laughs) I need to come up there before we do this. I need you to pray for me. (laughs) I said, okay, come on, let's pray. But I bet you no one comes up and says, boy, you're the dumbest. (laughs) You shouldn't be up there. No one's going to do that. And he got finished and he goes, did I say anything that made any sense? (laughs) I'm like, yes, you did. And so I look at the the lives that we live, and I know we're supposed to close. I had some questions for y'all, but it doesn't matter where we are physically speaking in this life. God is always constantly just calling us and saying, just like he was to his leader, the very last thing in this little book, I'm with you. Just be faithful. Because it's not, it's not in you, but it'll come through me. When is it time to build God's house in our own life? Now is the time that we let God 
lead us. Let's pray and we'll close. God, we know that you are truly the majestic creator. You're the most powerful being that there is. You've spoken and everything came into existence. And as we acknowledge that and we see that, just like Isaiah did, when he saw you seated on your throne, we know that you and you alone are worthy to be on that throne. And we see those seraphim flying around, calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We know that you are holy and you are righteous and you are perfect. We know that you are above and beyond anything that we can imagine or dream up. And yet, not only are you that creator, but you are the sustainer of life. You've given us life. You've brought us. You've added us to your church. You love us and gave your son for us to redeem us back to yourself. And Father, as your message through Haggai was, when is it time to build your house? Now is that time. Help us, Father, to listen to that call to respond to it, to have the faith and the hope that you want us to have, to know with absolute certainty that you will be with us from this day forward the rest of our life, empowering us to be all that you created us to be. Thank you, Father, for that hope. And thank you for the assurance that we have that one day we will be at home with you. Now, Father, as we wait on that day, help us to have the wisdom and the strength to be all that you created us to be and to live a life of faith to step out of our comfort zones and do all that you want and have us ready to do. Thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you for our Savior because we know everything that we have comes because of him and through him. And all of these things we lift up in his name. Amen.